Welcome everybody to tonight's Wireside Chat. Uh, as you know, the Wireside Chats take place on the second Monday of every month. This Monday, I am, and I'm Paul Woodcover, I'm the Associate Dean of the Online MFA here at Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, I'm joined tonight, very thrilled to be joined by um, Jeremy Flagg, who uh, some of you may know is an instructor here. Uh, he's been publishing dystopian and science fiction novels since 2006. In 2020, he branched out into superhero romance under the pen name Ryder O'Malley. Now he has published 20 novels and numerous short stories. He has been in the education field since 2012, teaching a mix of creative writing and graphic design. During the pandemic, he left his day job and now works as a full-time writer and book cover designer. Welcome, Jeremy. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled. The 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 reason that I um, invited Jeremy, uh, I have wanted to have Jeremy as a guest on Wireside Chat for quite some time, but he mentioned to me um, a few months ago when ChatGPT first came out and everybody was going kind of insane over it, um, not that they're not going insane over it right now, um, but he mentioned some things to me that, that struck me as very interesting, um, and uh, I realized that he would be a great person to have on here to talk about the implications of this new technology for writers and artists, both from a practical standpoint, uh, maybe even an academic standpoint, and also a philosophical standpoint. Like, what does this mean for art? Um, so, um, so Jeremy, I'm going to just put you on the spot immediately and ask you, like, wh what what is ChatGPT? And I mean, how how does it work? What is it doing? So essentially, <clears throat> I actually had to look this up earlier as someone who's been tinkering and toying with it. I was like, I'm not sure how it was actually trained um, because that's been a, a big conversation behind um, the visual uh, AI. And so I went and looked this up and essentially what ChatGPT is, and I'm going to pronounce that, say that wrong like a hundred times. Um, it's based off what it's called OpenAI, and it's a large language model learning system. And what that does is it's essentially taking copious amounts of data and it is feeding it through essentially the meat grinder and it is learning from it. And in this particular instance, what it's doing is it's learning language and it's looking for patterns, for recognition, for... Um, basically how we function and then what i found really interesting about it was that that's only the first step that's only to get the data in there but it has to go many steps further than that and what a lot of the articles really delved into is how it used um argument-based learning and what it would do is it would take OpenAI, pit it against itself, and it would slowly teach itself that this was correct, this is incorrect. Well, I challenged this statement. Well, this is why. And so it slowly basically taught itself, not entirely. And then the, the bigger piece to it was they brought in many, many people during the development stages of this and they were the the beta testers, I guess, alpha testers. And what they would do is they would say, I want a 
the name of a fast food company and a fictionary fast food company. And it would come back with really bizarre answers and they would say, no, bad, bad. And they slowly taught it what good and bad is. And we are still actively doing this. And as it's been rolling out, every time we go in and we use a, a rehash or a retail or whatever platform you're using does to retell it, you're essentially saying, those might not have been bad, but they're not good. Dig some more. And when we finally say like, this is a good answer, it's learned that path for this particular instance. And now that goes back into the, the, the big learning machine. So that's essentially what's been going on behind the scenes. And the, the, the big question has been, what was the data they used to train it initially? And this is where things get a little bit proprietary, which is kind of their secret way of saying, we're not gonna tell you. Right. Um, but if you kind of look at the, the internet as a whole, my mother used to use the phrase, if you don't want people to see it, don't put it on the internet. Unfortunately, the rest of mankind didn't listen <laughs> and we are creating Skynet by uploading everything we do. and if you look at a lot of these platforms, I mean, from Facebook on, you don't own what you put out there. It's right. It's public domain. And so, or, or the platform you're using. Um, so Reddit, Wikipedia, uh, and if we want to get into writing sites like, um, Anfic, um, yeah. they're, they're pulling from these public spaces and, if you look at all the information that's on the internet, it's trying to process the internet essentially. Right. Um, wow. So I thought that ChatGPT was kind of isolated from the internet, that they were, that at least in the terms of like the training of it, so that they were not subjecting it to like, you know, weird posts about, you know, uh, about you know aliens from you know on reddit or something right they didn't want to include that kind of information into the into the data that they were using to train the system on so when i went looking for it because chat gpt uses open ai um as its thing platform base um there there was a lot of conflicting information and i read a couple articles today actually from the creators and thank you benjamin i appreciate that um they already had existing models for a long time and so when they're talking about it they're talking about um chat gpt but they don't seem to go back far enough to talk about the the data acquisition and that okay. was the thing that scared a lot of people was that wasn't being an open conversation and part of me is a consumer in corporate america i kind of understand you don't want to give away your trade secrets right but what of mine have you been studying here like as a, a individual human i'm a little bit scared that the internet is learning from me um <laughs> am i the best person for that right so please well, let's please don't look I'm... at my facebook and learn from that <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good segue into into one of the primary questions. And actually, before I, I, I get into this, I want to just remind everybody that the Q&A button at the top of your screen will open a Q&A little section here window that you can type 
questions in that, that we'll be happy to um, address. Um, but I know that a lot of a lot of writers um, are are either salivating at the idea of you know having some kind of uh, uh, you know you know creative um, application that can write a book for them, or at the idea of collaborating in an interesting ways with with this new um, technology. Uh, whereas others are just terrified that it's going to put them out of a job, for example. So, w first of all, where do you come down in this in this um, controversy, and and what do you think about the relative merits of those positions? So, my my answer is going to be very weird, and I don't want people to think that I'm being wishwashy and walking down a. Well, he won't pick a side. First, for anyone who hasn't seen, the author community as a whole, and while I love them, are very dramatic, almost as much as the fiction we write. Um, it has been very volatile for the, like the past, I would say, six months. It has turned into an either or, black or white. There's mm -hmm. There's no middle ground to be had. And so regardless of what side you're on a lot of people have said like i'm gonna back off because people are seeing their careers be tanked as um if if you found out that i was using uh an ai of any kind regardless of what it is people are um creating these little fan-based armies to tank people's careers and yep. so a lot of authors who are in one camp or the other, or even in the, the very wide gray middle, have kind of stepped back from the argument. And so I put this out there with that statement. Um, I was incredibly nervous coming on here to the point where earlier today I was like, huh, wonder if my career could handle this hit. <laughs> so, but I do think we need to talk about it. So let's let's do this um me personally if you open one of my books at absolutely no place in any one of my books will you find anything that was written other than my own hands or mouth mm -hmm. there is absolutely no artificial intelligence anywhere in my books now that's not because i'm against it i'm actually a very i'm an early adopter i will stand in that iPhone line as long as possible to get that device before anyone else. I was pretty early to adopt this and explore it because I really wanted to see not even my writing. I I run a cover design business and my business is visual. I I create book covers. I don't want to write creative witty posts. I want someone to do that for me. Well, what do you know? They created a bot. So I was more interested in that in that aspect, but the 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 line of what has been considered acceptable or not acceptable keeps getting thrown down, and I personally don't believe that that's appropriate. Um, I do think that we should continue questioning ethics and um, what this means for us as a society, for as a profession, as a creative endeavor but if it helps you be a better author and it helps you make bank and you become a usa today's best-selling author 
all I want to do is applaud you because you got there. So yeah. for me, I haven't incorporated it yet into my books and I'm not going to say that I won't, but I'm extremely nervous because Amazon has decided there's this new fun thing that they like to do and tell you that you don't have rights to their copy or you don't have copyright to your manuscript or your story. And they pull your book down without any warning and they say, prove it. Yeah. Um, do you want video of me crying during editing? <laughs> like what, what constitutes proof if I can't get a physical copy to send to the copyright office? So I'm less concerned with a fellow author using it. I am super concerned with Amazon because they have put down their foot about uh, computer generated voices in audio and said, no. Well, if my books have AI anywhere in them and Amazon makes that bold statement, Am I am I screwed? Like, do I have to go rewrite? Do I have to disclose? Like, what what's the process? So I'm not concerned with it from a creative standpoint. I am concerned because Amazon does kind of control my my earnings. So that that's a really long winded answer to say I'm pro AI, but Amazon, you make me nervous. Right. Well, especially you know, so many authors are very dependent upon Amazon for their for their uh, revenue. Uh, any any writer that is self-publishing, um, by and large, they are dependent upon that ecosystem, and and it can it, it's a very whimsical one. Um, what about what about the idea of copyright that you just mentioned? Um, what what about text that is produced by ChatGPT? I mean, what is the wh where does the copyright uh, adhere to that? Is it is it with the with, is it with the, the the software itself somehow? Is it with the person that created the prompt that created the you know the product? I as of right now, it's the wild wild west. Yeah. Um. We we. Authors, I, I don't want to ever talk down and say, like, we're, we're the, we get to run amok as everyone else figures out how things work. The visual world took Storm first, and so they are going to be tied up in litigation for probably the next decade. So, authors, you got a decade. You're, you're, you're safe. <laughs> but with that being said, be very very conscious about any AI that you're using, go read the terms of service. And if you are nervous about it, do not use it. Because we we well know um, if you are using a chat bot of any kind or any sort of, um, I, I, I was experimenting with Verb and they tell you right there that we will use your results to better improve the software but they don't quite tell you how. Yeah. So, and that's what some of these other large companies have in there, Adobe being the big one right now. They put in a little thing for product improvement in their terms of service. And apparently that means they own everything that you want to do and they can build AI off it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, in a way, ChatGPT is a, is another publishing platform, and and we all know that there have been a, there's a long history of different publishing platforms 
struggling to take the rights away from the writers who, who use those platforms. I mean, it's been a long kind of back and forth. And, and like you said, now it's the wild, wild west. There's no real standard. There's no sheriff in town uh, for, for chat GPT. Um, and I guess, and I I'm guess, sure there are legal battles currently happening. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, this one is going to be a much bigger uh, a much bigger battle with a lot more nuance than I think the visual is going to be. The the visual right now is less about the product and more about how it came to be, whereas ChatGPT is less about how it came to be and what about the aftermath. So I think there's going to be have to be different. Like we're going to have to reinvent our definitions. Like yeah. as simple as the word plagiarism right that definition no longer applies eventually we had to incorporate the term self-plagiarism or we had to start elaborating and so i think i think we're going to see either retrofitting terms or we are going to see ourselves having to come up with a new vocab for some of these things um someone asked uh how do you feel about using chat gpt to prompt uh, for a storybook or ideas similar to asking people for prompting for art ideas from Richard. I'm not going to try and pronounce your last name, but thank you. Um, I do it all the time. I literally do it all the time and not, not in a, I've never put in, I need a romance book. What's an idea. I'm not to diminish romance it is my, my bread and butter right now, but guy meets guy guy falls in love with guy some reason pulled apart some reason get back together grand gesture they fall in love that is almost every romance book so i don't need it to do that there's kind of already that piece in there but i and i did use this i needed a romantic first date in a city downtown that allowed two people to be isolated I'm not, I'm not quite date savvy, so I wasn't quite sure. And I didn't want to confess this to my friends. So instead, I'll say it to a room full of strangers. <laughs> um, I went to chat. I went to I, I use Notion as my platform. And I just asked it, what are cute date nights at night? And it came up with a evening farmer's market. And I was like, that works perfect. That's all I needed. Evening farmer's market, three words, and I wrote everything else. So I think idea generation is great. I, When you get stuck on something like that, it's almost like if there was an author working across the table for me, I would just yell out, I need a date place. And they would yell back. So basically the machine yells at me. Yeah, there's some interesting interesting questions here. Like um, Koji has a has a, a post in the Q and A about um, wondering where the legalities lie in terms of plagiarism for say using your novel's characters in a bot, or even a fan making bots of your characters and then claiming you stole their ideas. I mean, that's I can see all of that kind of thing happening. Um, and it's really, I mean, that sort of thing happens now, especially with fanfic. Um, there's always that that sort of um, 
you know, proliferating uh, promiscuity of, of like character ownership, right? Who owns this character? Who's, who, mm. who does it really belong to? Well, I'm going to write about it and, you know, you can too. Um, you know, what, one of my, one of my favorite quotes as, as a writer, and it kind of sums up some of my philosophy as a writer is from, um, the French, uh, playwright Moliere, uh, who said, um, at least as I've read, read it, uh, translated into English, I take what belongs to me wherever I find it. And, um, you know, that that is kind of the notion of the artist as magpie. Right. And there's no real ownership when it comes when you're when it comes to an artist, um, you, you take what what appeals to you and refashion it for your own use. So and, how is that different from somebody who's using ChatGPT for a an aid in the composition of a story or a novel? I I really don't think there is a difference, to be quite honest. Um, so I, I I use romance a lot because I'm more familiar with it. But you could take this with the hero's journey. You could take this with the th three act structure. You could take this with um, the horror plot twist, the mystery red herring plot devices. Each of our genres have a structure. And let's be honest, sometimes we just go with them. Um, it is, and even as a professor, when I have a student that's writing a romance, I'm, I'm comparing it against the, the structure because this is the reader expectation. So right. if this bot can understand the reader expectation, do, do I feel that it's a little bit cheating to get to the the knowledge without earning it? Maybe, but that's like my personal, like I I I have to do everything the hard way before I learn. So that's just a me um, way about going for it. Uh, Matthew asked, uh, "How does it actually work?" Great question. This is kind of fun. Um. So ev again, every uh, every AI writing platform will do it a little bit different, but they tell you flat out that the best way to interact with the AI is to treat it like another person. So earlier I was like, um, I'm, I'm rewriting the, the back blurbs on my books right now, and I just want a little, little more active uh, tense, a little more punch to some of my word choices. So... I mean, I could just use a thesaurus, but I was like, let's see what it does. Um, and you just write in, I'm writing this blurb for the back of my sci-fi dystopian book. Can it be more active? And it just scans it, rewrites it. And it for me, in this case, it only changed like three or four words. And they weren't good words but they were words that gave me jumping off point and being like, oh, right. I see where you're looking at. I'm gonna pay some attention there. And then I did break out of the source ultimately, but it's great because um, you can say, I want a, I want a space Western with a, dude taken from the 1980s who's been orphaned in outer space and meets a 
alien raccoon and a giant plant man. Give me a plot. And it will write you up the rough, the very broad beats for it. And funny enough, despite the fact we just described Guardians of the Galaxy, we will yeah. all get a different plot. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it's like having a conversation with any stranger, which is what I love about it. Let me ask, let me surface another question out of the out of the chat here, or rather out of the Q&A. Uh, this is from um, Brian Chapman, who says, the rights question is interesting. As a writer, are you concerned with the data you are feeding it? Are you concerned that the data you are feeding it is being used to replace you and others like you? We don't know what it's training in the background, but it's hard to imagine it's isolated to just chat GPT. Perhaps it's training future AI writers. I mean, I, my initial, as soon as ChatGPT came out, I thought Hollywood producers and executives are just salivating right now because they're thinking like, we can cut the writer out completely. We don't need writers anymore. They're just troublemakers anyway, you know? Um, we'll just we'll just like train ChatGPT to write a script for us and we can shoot them. And then, and then we'll get rid of the directors, right? We don't need them. And we don't even need the actors because we can use like, you know, computer generated models of famous actors from bygone, bygone eras, right? <laughs> um, I do find this kind of funny because there are two type of author, those that believe that we are heading towards Star Trek, the next generation, and we will have no currency and become one people or Skynet and Arnold Schwarzenegger right. is going to show up at your door. There's nothing in between. We are all one extreme or the other. Um, I would like to believe that we are moving towards Star Trek The Next Generation, but I've started doing pull-ups like Sarah Connor, and I'm ready for this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have to go through the Terminator to get to Star Trek. Um, so ultimately, I, so I come from a, a military family, and once my family left the military, I, I grew up in northern Maine in a very small town, and my town of 1,200 people, which my section of town was only like 200 people. I could probably tell you the birthday of every one of them. And I could tell you every dirty secret about every person there. Oh, please do. So <laughs> because of that, like I grew up in this really small, close-knit town. And I left because there was no sense of privacy. But as the internet has kind of flourished, if you use any social media, your privacy has been gone. I... I think that privacy has been an illusion for such a long time, and we we rack our brains hoping on to it. But you're being stalked, and your footsteps are being traced in the grocery store. There's no way around it. And yeah. if if they are micro-targeting you, um, by the way, I teach the marketing class, so this is stuff we talk about. Um, if you are being micro-targeted in the grocery store, a place we all have to go to, I just feel that illusion is gone. And for me, really, if you want to know something bizarre about me, I'll tell you to your face, because if it's on the internet, I was comfortable. My mother sees everything. She knows every romance book. Like, I talk very openly about what happens in them. And my mother has learned not to go to my Facebook. Um, so I've kind of taken that approach to it, but I do realize that I'm a I'm a specific type of person and those that do still value their privacy, I might just simply say, this is not for you. And I'm not saying that that is a bad thing by any stretch, but if that's something that makes you nervous, then 
I don't want to say anyone is forcing you to use it, but it it's it's got to be within your comfort zone. And I feel that that's what I would say for any tool, whether you're using Scrivener, whether you're using the Oxford comma or not the Oxford comma, not to cause a fight, but we all kind of we're, established we're team that. Oxford comma here at the, at the online MFA. My editor would say I am <laughs> not team Oxford comma. <laughs> um, uh, I was just going to, I pushed one of my buttons there with the Oxford comma and then knocked my <laughs> uh, my next question right out of my head. Um, oh, I know what I was going to ask. So, I mean, you mentioned Scrivener, right? And 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 social media, of course. These are all uh, elements of our of our um, MFA as we as we have built it and as we teach it, right? We talk about in various classes like um, what. How do you compose your work? You know, do you use Scrivener? Do you use some other um, program that allows you to keep track of plots and and um, of characters and you know maybe has a picture board that you can use? Um, and s s in the same way, we we teach people about you know the use of social media to um, to advance your career, to publicize your book, to make connections, network, um, you know, pitch mad and things like that. So why wouldn't we incorporate uh, large language model AI systems into an MFA, for example? Isn't that because won't that be such a, um, a ubiquitous part of the of the of the publishing and creative writing landscape in the in the near future that we kind of have an obligation to our students to prepare them for that? So the. I find that for authors, there tends to be a, a very broad spectrum of, like, I love writing. I I do it every day, religiously. And, but you know what gets me really excited? Selling that book to a reader. I don't yeah. care. When I see that money comes in, uh, that means somehow I marketed it to them. And for me, that's my background. Like, I get, I geek out over analytics. Like, it's way too much of my job but there is a vast array of authors that would be like all i want to do is write a book hand it over and be done with it and unfortunately that world of author doesn't exist um if you look at stephen king he's out there because his publisher urged him to he's stephen king if stephen king has to be on social media then what hope is there for the rest of us um el james is on multiple social media platforms and she'll even say she's like i don't particularly like a lot of them but my publisher asked me to do this so if they're able to do that then okay great but if we if they want to just focus on the book why not hand this stuff off to an assistant and why does that assistant have to have a body laurel mm -hmm. king hamilton is a great example she uh about five years ago made an announcement she was like i will no longer be the writer of my social media fyi i'm hiring someone they're my social media manager my content manager that is their job my job is to go write books and she'll she'll jump in she'll chime in she'll she'll write posts but her assistant who she is very public about mm -hmm. writes her content in first person do i know if her social media manager is screening it by her getting, you know, like critiqued or whatnot. I don't know. Do I care as a consumer of entertainment? 
no, I make a, another fun pithy post for me. Um, so I think that that really, and you know, for Amber, I 100% agree with you. I love them both. The newsletter was wonderful. Um, but I, I don't see why that's any different than, um, than having myself do it. And if it makes you a better author, because you can spend more time sitting in a chair doing the thing that quite frankly, a lot of us got into this business to do, then why not? Yeah. Um, so, and I, I kind of look at it like, so I do a lot of graphic design work and I have workflows. Every time I get a client project, I click a button on my computer and I go get some coffee because it's going to run through all the me the required steps. I created those steps, but they're within the, the software. It understands what I'm after and it does it. And then my creative role comes into it. So. Do, do you use in your in your kind of co-career as a as a graphic designer and cover designer? Do you use AI for that? Do you use like Midjourney or any of that stuff? Absolutely not. And so this is the difference between uh, a if this all boils down to this really small word called rights. So the if you as a person design your own book cover you are not selling yourself rights to use this product because as of right now everything that is created by let's just go with mid-journey to be safe because there is ways that you can do this privately using stable diffusion but let's just assume that we're using mid-journey here if you're doing that it's public domain even if it's private and only you can see it, it's still public domain. So I legally cannot sell you rights. And the problem with this has been when Amazon, and this happened to me this week, one of my clients got dinged, her book got taken down in the middle of a launch, by the way, and said, your cover, your cover uh, is stolen. Wow. Oh, oh, no, it is not. So I sent the contract like right away and I was like, here, give this to them. And they said, no, it's not enough. So I sent them a video to the faceless Amazon algorithm showing me working on it. Cause I do live screen recordings of some of my stuff. And then they were like, no, what more can I show you that this right. is original work? So then she sent the contract again and they accepted it. I don't know why, but. Huh. Um, so what what flagged their system in the first place, do you think? Who knows? It was Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, there's no rhyme or reason. And uh, Amazon historically has, instead of going into everything with a fine tooth comb, because computers, AI, mind you, is doing all of this and instead of you know going in with a scalpel they go in with a sledgehammer and then it's easier for them to fix the fallout than to not catch the fallout yeah. so i'm assuming this has something to do with lawyers or legal fees or like they call it reader uh reader enjoyment I, if it's not money driven then it's not so um, but yeah, and that, that really all comes down to the word rights. 
Now, when it comes to writing, I'm not selling it to another person. Now, if I hired you to be my ghost writer and you submitted to me a AI written manuscript, then we've got a problem because you're selling be it a, to me. That, yeah, and that would be probably be a, a violation of whatever contract I was under with you yeah. to be to be your ghostwriter. And I'd like to say up front that I am not your ghostwriter. I don't know. I got some <laughs> superhero stories for you. <laughs> um, so I guess one thing I keep kind of coming back to when I think about like some of the language that you've learned and or rather used in describing uh, how chat GPT is operating. Um, I mean, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we, we're, we, we're almost forced to anthropomorphize the uh, chat GPT simply, simply in order to communicate. Like we talk about it learning things, right? But it's not really learning in any, in any, it's learning in a very specialized, like technical sense. But it's not learning in the sense that we learn things that we understand. We like to think that it is. We like to project that onto it. And and so I find myself wondering a lot um, how 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 much are we like in our training of Chat GPT? Like you were saying, you know, bad Chat GPT, bad Chat GPT, good Chat GPT, right? And it refines itself via its algorithms ever more precisely. And ultimately, what we have and what we're looking at is our own reflection in a mirror, right? And we're like, oh my God, we have created sentience, but but perhaps we have not. We have just created an incredible uh, uh, image of our of ourselves. Okay, so let's compare this to Google's AI. If anyone remembers a couple years ago, Google released an AI and they put it in like a chat room to learn. And within the hour, it was speedy, spouting out hate speech. Yeah, it, they it, people turned it, it turned it into like a racist. Yeah, so thank you, Internet. You're horrible human beings. But I will say one of the really nice things is that OpenAI has been very careful in what it will and won't do. Romance writers, this one kind of screws us over. Try and I dare you to write a romance scene in the boudoir between two of your characters. If <laughs> my characters, uh, as they go into the room for a, a night of casual lovemaking, casual, lo like how, how else are you doing this? And their, their love between one another and their making of romance, like I'm not kidding, these are actual words that use. And I was like, by the end of this, it, it felt like it was a third grader trying to talk about where babies came from. It was hilarious. And I kind of want it to be an actual novel because I'm sorry, if Chuck Tingle can make the Tingle verse work, we can right. make chat GPT romance verse work. Um, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a readership out there for everything. That's, that's one thing I've discovered. And, um, and, and I will say like the current models are very like they're, they are controlling them. So they are keeping it uh, in a certain parameter. And you'll see this in Midjourney. And Midjourney 5 just came out. Um, yeah, version 5 came out. And I'm a romance author. I, I need me some social media images of shirtless men. And if I can't, it is, I, I am currently suspended from Midjourney, I'll admit, because I try to circumvent the word shirtless. Okay. 
<laughs> but I and I get what it's trying to do. It's trying to prevent it from becoming this what happened to Google. And they saw that. And so I do believe that um I do know that if you if you want to go down that road, that's what stable fusion uh okay. can do. But um but they are controlling it. And so the the really high order question that I keep wondering about is we have the Turing test for audio. We have the uncanny valley for a visual. I don't think we have an AI generated test for text. I, I don't think we have a, a definition of what that is. And where I've been seeing it, um, I'm in Discord uh, all day long. We have a superhero Discord server and we get people who come in and they start acting a little off. Now, to be frank, these are superhero geek fans, and I, I get we're we're sometimes very awkward to begin with. And you start to wonder, like, are are you normal awkward or are you AI awkward? Right. And so we have come up with a series of questions to ask new people that are weirdly philosophical can't be correctly answered and when you ask them they start spitting out lewd stuff or violent stuff or i'm going to come after you and kill you or they just make memes of my face which is kind of funny um but we had to come up with tests to kind of vet people because it's gotten so sophisticated well, it's, it's so similar to to like blade runner right where where Harrison Ford is 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 doing these bizarre kind of psychological tests in order to identify who the replicants are and who who are not replicants. Brian, um, you are 100% correct. It used to be that you would see the, uh so in Discord we have chat bots that you can you can hook AI up to and it will do whatever. But they found a way to take user accounts and feed AI into them so they look normal. Yeah. And I really just think that this is modern day trolling. Like, I don't think it's horrible. We're all adults in my server, so it's not like I have to worry about uh, 14 year olds and, you know, PG crowd. But there is stuff that comes in there and they they are very good at consuming things. So like in my bio, it has links going to like my website and whatnot. And it knows to go to my my website, to my Amazon. It pulls my book titles, and it will talk to me about my book titles like they read my book, which, yeah. let's be honest, they always seem to pick a title that hasn't sold in a long time, so I always know that they're lying. <laughs> um, but it, it's creepy that we we now have to have a Turing test for text. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I, I can see it's... And, and it's very difficult to create something like that because uh, you have to you have to be a step ahead of something that's faster than you are. Um, let, let me surface another question out of out of the Q and A here. This is from um, Wei, uh, who asks if we are to if we are to design a course related to writing alongside an LLM AI, what are some of the areas do you think students can really benefit by becoming more AI literate? writing analysis, novel structure, marketing strategy, something else? So, highway, glad you could come. Um, the, I think that the AI has a 
a really big place in your process, in your production. Now, I, I don't think that, like, I don't think I'm going to be replacing any of my fiction with AI right now. I just, for me, it actually, if any of my students know, I hate editing. If I, if I had a superpower, I want a clean first draft. It's all that matters to me. And if it's not clean, it's got to go to the editor because I don't want to rewrite anything ever. It takes so long and it slows me down and it's just not a thing for me. So I started plotting. Well, what if I had something that would help me with plotting? Well, I went and got plotter for that. Well, what if I had something that could help me be a little bit better about my plotting and maybe point out my pacing? Awesome. We have that now in pro writing aid. I mean, it unfortunately it has a, it gets clunky as you get into the 20,000 word and up area, but it will say this part's kind of slagging. And what, it, what is it? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but what is it basing that judgment on? Like, so pace? it is comparing you. And this is why the, the phrase AI is just going to become the new iPhone. Remember when iPhone came out and everything was I this, I that, I. I, I, we still have iRobot, I think. Um, AI has been around for many years. It has been around for many, many years. Um, my first boyfriend in college wrote the AI that keeps planes from crashing into mountains. Very important stuff. That was in 99. So AI is just become common vernacular. So in pro writing aid, every time an author compares their stuff, what they're doing is they're doing a word analysis. And to the degree, and I don't know how they're getting this information, this I found out today, you, there's a setting in pro writing. I can go make my book Stephen King compared to Stephen King's writing. I'm not entirely sure that Stephen King gave approval for that. Like that, that, that is the type of issues that I have with it. I'm not going to use it because Stephen King and I are, aren't exactly similar writers. Right. Um, but it's learned that, you know, too many sticky words slows down a sentence. It's learned that my overuse of the word that really needs to be kept in check. I hear and, you. And because all of us have been doing this stuff and accepting or altering, the next time it sees that same paragraph and what we've altered, it remembers. Mm -hmm. So we've been training this stuff for many, many years. It's now just that we slap the word AI on it and suddenly it's a new product. Um, so pro writing aid has been great. Um, it, it's the same thing as Grammarly or Autocrit. Um, but I mean, I've, the thing about, no, I mean, the thing about Grammarly, I mean, I don't, I want to don't, don't want to digress too much, but I mean, Grammarly is at least as far as I'm concerned in, in my exposure to it as both a, a writer and an editor and actually as a as an instructor, uh, it, it's crap. You know, it is not it is not dependable. Um, and go for, and go for pro writing aid, the minimum, or if you can splurge the money, I think that uh, Autocrit is is the the Rolls Royce of. Well, I'll have I'll have to look at it. I'm I'm honestly not familiar with it, um, but uh, I, I certainly can see that if something like that is available and trustworthy, there's there's no reason not to utilize it. And it, it's been really great because it 
I don't know if it learns, like you can create style guides. I That's what I was uh, talking to a bunch of authors today about making a ro more robust style guide so that my editor can deal with the real problems and not mm -hmm. my inability to add a comma after independent clauses. So, but the same thing, I could run that through AI. Um, it, there's limits on the words and what it can remember and whatnot. I don't particularly like, um, like I, I use passive voice, let's just be honest. And suddenly it's like, we detected a little bit too much passive voice. We're going to try and make it active. Whoa, 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 calm down. Like my readers know me for this. Like, right. Um, but could that help me be a better writer? I will say 100% the, the output from these things has definitely made me a better writer. So I think back to ways question i think there is a parallel to how we can use ai to improve the things we're already doing sometimes farm off the things we're doing but what we tell authors in the mfa program is you got to learn to walk before you can run so let's learn the fundamentals before you start shop shipping them out because if you don't understand those fundamentals you won't know what's good and what's bad when it puts that out right so i do think that there's every step of the way from your editing from your brainstorming even the writing there are options for you it's just whatever works for your flow and makes you a faster or more efficient writer or the writer you want to be but I, I do i do kind of uh agree with with way that that there has to be or should be and probably at some point will be uh, a place for these sorts of systems in our pedagogy, right? In uh, in what we're teaching students, not not just in what we're teaching students, but how we're teaching students. Like there there'll be there'll be a use for this stuff on the student end and on the instructor end. Um, I don't know exactly what it is yet. I know. I mean, I'm very happy to see. I don't know if anybody on this call has listened to um, uh, Paul Paul LeBlanc talk about. Uh, about ChatGPT and other LLMs, and uh, about the approach that Southern New Hampshire is is going to take and is taking towards uh, these these new technologies, he's very uh, very open minded about it, and and it, it clearly enthused by the promise of the technology, as opposed to feeling like a kind of like knee jerk reaction, like oh this is bad, or oh students students are going to use this to cheat, we've got to shut them down. Um, well, and I think and you I, see that reaction in some places, but you're not really seeing it here, which I find really um, one of the reasons I like working here. So in one of the things we were talking about this before, um, I was in high school during during the Internet emerging days um, when we went from, you know, paying for long distance dial up to actually being able to use the Internet for research. And beforehand, back in ye old days, we would get a take-home quiz, and it could be multiple choice, because let's be honest, the teacher didn't want to grade an essay. They just wanted to use their little bubble sheet and be hey, done with it. Just so human. they would send us home with that, but I could cheat so easily. Now, unfortunately, I lived in a place where everyone around me was long-distance phone calls, so I couldn't call and cheat. I actually had to do the work. Um, I guess my parents were happy about that. But once the internet came out, the, that kind of test-taking became obsolete. So then you would start seeing um, students, like we started getting assignments like uh, 
do a, a short reply to the following prompts. And they would ask you questions like, uh, in Old Yeller, what is the underlying thematic of, the internet didn't know the answers back then. Now there's a website for everything. Um, so I feel that not only will the the usage of students change, but I think in the education model, I, I feel that there's going to be a new... Education loves buzzwords, so I'm always scared about it, but is there going to be a new way of designing tests that are unique to a person so like instead of asking a factual question and i i love this about the mfa program because there's a lot of personalized philosophical questions being asked which quite frankly there's no right or wrong answer it's your author journey so however you decide to respond to it i might not agree with it it might not be for me but that's the question isn't a right or wrong it's a explain, defend, elaborate, explore. And so I think even if we, you know, started AIing those questions and asking that, at, at that point, are you here to learn or are you just getting a grade? Because at least in the fine arts, it's not a, always about the grade, it's about the journey and what you learn. What Where it makes me nervous is what about that, uh, doctoral candidate in open heart surgery is forging but yeah. th even then they have to go do it so or the ai will do the surgery for them like i don't know well i i think that's already happening i think there is there is uh um at least fully automated sur surgeries for for some for some uh, conditions. Um, Mine, I had to go to an orthopedist the other day and he he has an automated text reply, like follow up and all that stuff. And it's chat GPT. They forgot to remove the bracket that said, this is chat GPT. Oh, okay. And <laughs> it, it all it is is automating uh, a very, very polite and casual way of saying I have an upcoming appointment. So, okay, like even the doctor found a way to use it, um, which fascinating. Yeah. But AI is here to stay. Um, there's no way around it. There's no putting it back in the box. Um, we're seeing uh, legal issues all over the place, um, which I find extremely fascinating. The like I said, I think the, the court cases will be going on for many, many years, especially, uh, you know, now that Microsoft has bought OpenAI and or partnered with OpenAI. I'm not sure what that deal was, um, but any any lawsuits are going to be kind of a big deal for a while. Um, the the copyright office has got their hand in it, but they have to wait for litigation and all the lawyers right now are all all a kerfluffle because they get to be pundits of the legal system <laughs> and uh it's kind of funny because in the visual arts if this was human on human art we would call it appropriation 
like there's an entire appropriations movement where you take someone else's art, do something fun with it, and it's mm-hmm. yours. And there's a phrase we have called uh, the the something of transformation or transformative something. I can't remember the term off the top of my head. Um, transformative works. So uh, there was a uh, artist on artists. He literally took a photograph of another person's photograph and put sunglasses on them. And we've, it was declared, it was transformative. So he was safe. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of thing goes back to like Marcel Duchamp and artists like that, yes. right? And Walter Benjamin and is writing about this kind of, kind of stuff like back in the 1920s. Uh, the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction was the title of a famous essay of his that really is was quite prescient uh, in in that every generation people discover this essay anew because it's 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 completely applicable with each new iteration of of the technology that comes out. Um, what, what I find terrifying, and no amount of wanting this to be Star Trek will ever calm this for me, is and I, I think that this is something that a lot of creatives share is so um, I, I'm not going to get into the the visual arts piece of it, but I learned as a painter by reproducing other artists work to the point where there is a Van Gogh in my bathroom that you would think Van Gogh painted on my bathroom wall. Um, and that was part of like my final. I would only pass if I could reproduce. So that is something that, you know, reproduction is kind of a process here, but okay, that we, we find that acceptable. That's how we learn. I like to think of AI as a human being, and I, I know that that's its own little creepy thing. I'm a sci-fi writer. I want to believe it. We're ex machnia waiting to happen. Um, but the sheer volume of learning and I think that that's what really terrifies it. You and I could go to school for our entire lives and we will never understand the the full intricacies of the human language, but AI can learn it in hours. Yeah. Uh, I, so I think I, that. Yeah, I, I often think back to the, you know, when I was first um, coming up in the science fiction world, um, say in the, in the, in the early 70s, Right. It was possible then to read every work of science fiction that was produced in the United States in a year. I mean, published in a magazine, in a fanzine, in a in, in book form. Um, obviously, that's hasn't been possible for a long, long time now, but it would be possible for AI to be conversant on that level with anything. And we're seeing authors um, and I'll, I'll use the audiobook as an example. I have audio, I have multiple narrators who narrate my audio books, and they do uh, vastly different jobs, um, very different approaches, and I hired them for that reason. Um, But I could do AI. I couldn't be on ACX. Okay, so what are those options? Well, I could sell direct, and I could sell direct to the consumer at a lower price. Yet, though it's a lower price, my profit is higher. So from a business standpoint, that's great. Now, does that mean I will never use a narrator again? 
oh, I love my narrators. Of course I would hire them, but maybe that winds up being the higher end product or the lower end product. Okay, that's what a lot of authors are doing right now. And this is really interesting. But at that point, are we, are we making the art of narration exclusive to the financial elite? So like that's, those are the types of questions that I really think people need to be asking, not the execution level or the in my computer sitting at my desk level, but I mean, I, I write sci-fi and, you know, I was brought up on things like Star Trek where we have to ask like, what does it mean to be human? Blade Runner is by far one of my favorite movies. So like, I wanna ask those questions here and find out for me, what is my definition? And, you know, we as a species have not, like we just came out of a massive trauma event that we all shared together. And now we are watching mankind progress at a speed that we did not think was gonna happen during most of our lifetimes. And, oh yeah, that was last week. Right. So we've been, as sci-fi writers, we've been asking these questions, but we, I mean, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, let's just be quite frank. They thought that that's what 2001 was gonna look like. Back to the Future was supposed to happen a few years ago or Back to the Future 2. Like our definition of what sci-fi looked like is much different now. And so we're seeing the curve um, and it's like that exponential curve of technology advancing. And so, you know, in I got I got 40 to 50 years left, like, are, are we gonna see the robot wars by then? So like, I'm optimistic and hopeful, but I also write Zompox, so I'm, I got a bug out bag and I'm ready to go. Okay, on, on that note, I'm gonna uh, call it for the night. This has been a, a fantastic chat and Jeremy will have you back at some point, I hope to, to continue the conversation because I know we haven't nearly exhausted this topic. Uh, I wanna thank uh, everyone who attended tonight for joining us. This thank uh, you so much, everyone. I, watching the I'm chat, sorry. just you guys are yeah. all a flutter. No, it's been great. Um, th this recording will be available and posted on our YouTube playlist um, in a few days or maybe a week or so. Um, and I will make sure the announcement for that is um, is uh, dispersed far and wide. So thank you again, Jeremy, and good night, everybody. <laughs>